Well, go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I'm thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew 19. Uh, we're going to be covering just a few verses this morning. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 13. But uh, we just spent two weeks uh, in the first 12 verses of Matthew. And if you haven't heard those two sermons, uh, this one kind of flows out of that one. So um, I would uh, kind of encourage you to go back if you haven't been able to catch those. Go to the website, catch those two sermons where we talk about gender and Christian marriage and the issue of divorce. Uh, 13 through 15 kind of flows uh, seamlessly out of the foundation that is built at the beginning of this chapter. Uh, often, though, these verses are kind of uh, treated with uh, kind of almost like they are in isolation, and we just kind of read them, and we're like, yeah, we should do children's ministry. We should, we should have something for the kids because Jesus loved kids. And that's kind of as far as we kind of take uh, the concept that Jesus gives us in this passage. But what I hope to accomplish is for us to understand that the context that these verses, these just three short texts are offered in, is really an outflow of how Jesus is treating the genders, how Jesus is treating marriage, and of course how Jesus is treating divorce in those first 12 verses. This is just a continuation of that idea. The Holy Spirit had Matthew put this where it is for that specific purpose. It is not by accident that Jesus deals with the issue of children directly after dealing with the issue of marriage. He's seeking, rather, to show us and to teach us something about what is going on, where the faith is, and where children are concerned, where your marriage is concerned, where the design of God is concerned. And I would go as far as to say it's kind of a timely text to deal with this morning because children are, in my opinion, the most urgent discipleship, discipleship issue of our time. Uh, most views on discipleship deal with personal development of the individual uh, or deal simply with multiplying your faith through evangelism to people you do not yet know. And I would say that these are good things, but they reduce it to less than it really is. What the faith through Scripture is going to teach us, and I hope to kind of prove this to you today, is that discipleship is, and always has been, and always should, have a vision for the next generation. Have a vision for how do we evangelize the next generation. 86% uh, of people that come to faith in Jesus Christ do so before the age of 18. And so we have to understand that this is not happening because simply they get together for a couple of hours every Sunday night or Wednesday night for youth group. Rather, it's because of the influence that mothers and fathers need to have in their children's lives. And what Jesus is teaching us today is that when you hinder children from coming to faith in Jesus Christ, you hinder the very growth of the kingdom that he came to install in this world. Look, if you will, in verse 13. Then children were brought to Jesus that he might lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. 
I do not think it is an overreach to see clear implications of Jesus' dealing with children in this passage as a reminder to us that God wants Christians to disciple children so that they will follow Jesus. And if you understand how things work with kids, you will understand that this begins in the home. If you understand how children are born, which I hope most of you do, this begins with the issue of marriage. And if you understand the issue of marriage, and I hope many of you do, you will understand that marriage begins with the issue of gender. You see, what Jesus is doing in these texts is he's building from a foundation to an entire structure so that we can understand how God's design for the family actually furthers the gospel better than anything you and I would come up with apart from what he's doing. So, Husbands being faithful to their wives advances the kingdom of heaven. Wives being faithful to their husband advances the kingdom. When faithful husbands and wives come together, they tend to produce children, and that furthers the kingdom of heaven. And when fathers and mothers have their lives right, they will raise children and disciple children so that they will become followers of Jesus Christ thus furthering the kingdom of heaven. There is no concept in Matthew 19 that is separated from the issue of discipleship. The problems that you have in your marriage are discipleship problems. The problems that you have in parenting are discipleship problems because you have no vision for growth to the next generation. Number one this morning, understand that our faith must have a vision for the next generation. It must that is not a, a, a multiple choice where we can look at a bunch of different options and choose a different thing than that. It must have a vision for the next generation. Marriage does not exist for your personal fulfillment. I hope that you got that last week. Marriage exists for the glory of God as a covenant before the Father. It exists as a way in which man and woman come together to fulfill the design of God for men and women in order to reflect His glorious image to the culture around you. It is through marriage that we are faithful then to God's call to be fruitful and multiply. So back in the book of Genesis, God makes Adam and Eve, looks at them, and He says, be fruitful and multiply. Steward the entire earth. This is the dominion mandate. God destroys, judges, unbelievers through the flood. Noah and his family survive. One of the first thing he tells them after the aftermath of the flood is, be fruitful and multiply. Everything that God has done in this world is so that his image bearers will populate the world, thus further reflecting the image of God all over the world. And you know how we populate the world? By being fruitful and multiplying in our marriages. And that produces children, and raising children produces more and more followers of Jesus Christ in this world if we will be faithful to God's design for the family. If you'll be faithful to God's design and call for you to disciple the next generation. And these three verses, in verses 13 through 15, Matthew records an event in which people were seeking the blessing of Jesus on their children. This is not an uncommon practice. People would often go to a rabbi and seek his blessing for their children, but more so with Jesus because so many extraordinary events are surrounding Jesus. There's miracles, there's authoritative teaching, 
And so parents are saying, we must get to this particular rabbi. We need his blessing on our children. And the disciples rebuke him. Why did the disciples rebuke him? Well, for the same reason that you think your children are inconvenient. The same reason that you think children are keeping you or will keep you from reaching the potential that you believe that you have in this world. That's why the disciples were rebuking the children. They had nothing to offer, and Jesus had better things to do with his time. The same reason that many mothers and fathers neglect their children for hobbies. Many mothers and fathers neglect their children for careers. Many mothers and fathers neglect their children because they have better, bigger fish to fry. And Jesus then rebukes the disciples. Why? Because Jesus has a vision for the next generation, even if you don't. Even if his disciples didn't, he had a vision for the next generation. And so we can only assume, because the text is silent, that the disciples really looked at this as something that was beneath Jesus, as something that was, was not worthy of his time, that he had better priorities to do. But Jesus says, no, this is my main priority in this moment. And he takes the time and he blesses the children. So the question that we must ask ourselves is, what is God teaching us through this narrative? I don't think it's complicated. I think that Jesus is showing the vitality of having a generational vision of faith. Multiplying faith begins with the family. I want to quickly put this idea through the filter of God's great commission. If you know, a few chapters further, we have Matthew 28, where Jesus is standing on the mountain. He's risen from the dead. He's about to ascend up into heaven. He looks to his disciples and he says, Go, make more disciples. Teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Very simply, this is God's call for Christians to reach people with the gospel and teach them how to obey Jesus with their lives. This is not some new idea in light of Jesus' work either. This has always been God's vision. In Genesis 15, 3 through 6, God further reveals the covenant that he's making with Abraham. And here's what he says. Abram looks to God in disbelief and says, God, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and responded, this servant that Abraham had sitting beside him shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. God's being sarcastic. He didn't have the ability to number them. Then God said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God promised Abraham would have a son. Then he promised Abraham's descendants would outnumber the stars. And so everything that you see in Scripture after this point flows from that promise. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 6. God further clarifies how this would happen. He gives, this is the Jewish version of John 3.16, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to who? To your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, 
to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you do what? Forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. Verse 15, For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and He destroy you from the face excuse me, from off the face of the earth. That's a large text, but I wanted you to get the whole idea of what he's saying. He's saying when you get into the promised land, you've been redeemed out of slavery. Christian, you've been redeemed out of slavery to sin. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been redeemed by God. And you've entered in to a promised land of faith. And he looks to Israel and he says, when you are in the land that God has provided for you, be careful that you do not, number one, think that you are your own and that you have provided everything that you have for yourself. Remember who got you where you are. But then he says, number two, you are to teach the next generation everything that I've poured into you. You're to teach them the word so that they will not follow false gods. What he's doing is he's giving his plan for discipleship to the next generation. Because he's saying, if you abdicate your responsibility to teach your children to submit their lives to God, what's going to happen? They're going to give their hearts to false gods. That's what's going to happen. Well, then you get to the Great Commission. How do you think Abraham's descendants outnumbered the stars? The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It begins at home, begins with children. It begins with teaching them that their lives do not belong to themselves, that they were paid for, they were bought with the price of the life of Jesus Christ, and He is Lord and Savior of all. He owns everything in this world. Therefore, you are to give your entire life to Him. There is this generational idea that faith and commitment to God should and must be passed to the next generation, and we must view that as the most important mission in our lives. Parents discipling their kids to trust God, to obey God's word, to teach people his word, and then to pass it on. This would then protect the generations from forsaking God. But Israel failed. So God said, I'll do it myself. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to fulfill his own covenant. And we are the glad recipients of his covenant. But when you understand these texts in light of the Great Commission, you realize that, yes, we are to reach people with the gospel that don't yet have it. Yes, we must have that vision. But there is then a direct implication when you join it together with God's vision for generational discipleship, that parents must commit to raising children in such a way that they will follow Jesus rather than abandon their faith and follow false gods. Friends, if you want to reach people with the gospel, start at home. Jesus calls the children to himself as a natural flow from marriage to children to the blessing of God for the world. Number two this morning... 
And I think this is going to be the most difficult point of the morning. Christians must raise children to live differently. Christians must raise children to live differently. There's three things that I want to focus on under this point. And that is Christians must raise their children to think differently. Christians must raise their children to trust differently. And, children's mu- and Christians must raise their children to act differently. Those are the three main spheres of life. Thinking, trusting, and acting. Our purpose is today really twofold. First, I hope that you catch a vision that God treasures children. He treasures them. People do not treasure children. We live in a society where over the decades we have killed tens of millions of children in the womb because they're inconvenient. And that attitude goes further into many people's lives who don't murder their babies, but rather throughout their adolescence they just treat their kids as if they're an inconvenient reality in their lives and they've got better things to do. So many mothers think that children are robbing them of their potential. So many fathers believe the same thing. But I will tell you, there is no greater potential than parenthood. Parenthood is God's way of people reaching their fullest potential because you're creating, you're stewarding a human life. But secondly, we don't just treasure children. God has revealed that this calling is not subjective, but instead God has shown us that we are to disciple children to become specific types of people. God has a specific type of person that he wants your children to become. And he has shown us that we're to disciple our children towards this. Namely, and here's here's, here's the profound reality. I don't think it's going to shock you that I'd say this. God calls Christians to raise Christians. That's it. That's my battle cry today. God calls Christians to raise Christians. But here's the issue. Some of you aren't living like that. You want your children to blend in. You want your children to be like everyone else. You want your children not to stick out. You want them just to have a good career. You want them to maybe get married. You want them to be able to get a mortgage. Maybe they can afford a good car payment. Maybe they can afford to put you in a nursing home a little bit later. Dream big. That's your big goal for your kids. That's a pathetic dream. Kill it. Kill it. I don't want my children to grow up to be like everyone else. I want my children to be revolutionary Christians. I want my children to start a movement in this world of reaching thousands with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at some point, that's going to be their call. They're going to have to make the decision. But guess what I'm equipping them for? That. And guess what? I'm not equipping them for anything else. And so if they don't want to do that, tough. Right now, it's my call, and that's the direction I'm pointing them in. What direction are you pointing your children in? What do you think Jesus prayed over these kids? Do you think Jesus, God the Son, prayed over them and said, Lord, I just pray that they're good moral people and that they have a nice house and they have a nice car, a good corner office? Thank you, Father. Amen. 
I've blessed your children. Do you think that's what Jesus prayed over them? You laugh because you know that's not what he prayed over them. You know that's not what Jesus wanted for them. But why is that what you're conditioning your children for if you don't think that's what Jesus wants them pointed towards? Jesus wants children to grow up who will leave it all on the field because they believe the gospel that much, because they cannot imagine a more joyful life than for living for the gospel. How could we who treasure the greatness, the sovereign Savior, raise our children for anything other than laying their very lives down for the gospel of Jesus Christ, if the gospel is true? How could we train them towards anything else if we love them? At some point, it will be their decision. Look, they're going to make whatever decision they make. My son's in here, Liam. You're going to make whatever decision you want to make. But I'm going to equip you for the right one. The one that I believe. The one that has captivated my affections. Where are you pointing your children? Jesus looks and he says, let the little children come to me. And I love this phrase, and do not hinder them. Do not hinder them. I think that there is a deep meaning to that that I have to ask myself, how can I assure that I am not hindering my children from coming to Jesus? How can I assure that I'm not putting a barrier between my child and Jesus Christ? When people have an issue or they want to get better at something, especially where Christianity is concerned, many will come to me to instruct them on how to deal with specific issues or they want a book of how-tos for that specific thing. And I understand that. But typically, that's not what the focus should be on. So if you want to learn how to parent Christian kids, you do not start with a book on parenting. Books on parenting are mostly terrible. It's just some quack in an office that has a bunch of degrees... It probably wasn't even a parent telling you who are actually a parent how to get them to stop crying. And I understand. There's like a year period of your life. Some, for some of you, it's like five years. There's like a year period of your life where your big dream is, oh, God, let them stop crying. That's it. But your vision must be greater than that. The answer to how to be a Christian parent isn't found in any parenting book it's found in how to be a Christian. Christian kids typically follow Jesus when they have good Christian parents. Learning how to parent Christian kids begins with you being a Christian. There are three spheres of you being a Christian, and it's, it's easy. I already said it. Think, trust, act. Parent. Or some of you want to be parents. I hope. How are you thinking? How are you trusting? How are you acting? Because your kids are going to pick up on that. Most of us spend time worrying and preparing our kids to blend in when God calls us to parent them to stand out from the crowd. It starts with how you think about kids. Look in Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are what a heritage from the Lord. Whenever somebody tells me, oh, I don't want to have any children... I, this is a sincere question. How, would you not, how could you not want a heritage from the Lord? What could possibly be more important than that? The fruit of the womb is what? A reward. 
It's not a hindrance, it's a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. First, your children are a heritage and reward. Children never hinder you from fulfilling your potential. Rather, God gives them to you so you can reach a potential you didn't know you were capable of. You didn't know. Second, you are not raising children, you are raising adults. Do you realize that? And I know every mother, they're growing up so fast. And I always used to jokingly look at my wife and be like, well, I hope so, or we need to go see a doctor because they've got a problem. You form arrows for the purpose of shooting arrows, don't you? You never meet a great hunter or a great warrior, especially in this time, who had a quiver full of arrows, and then he puts them on his mantle, and he's like, I'm just going to look at them. And he forms those arrows for warfare. He forms those arrows so they will go straight into the heart of the enemy because he wants to send them out. You are raising your kids so that you can send them out, and the more you send out into the world, the better. But how are you going to send them into the world? That is the question. If you're raising children, you're going to send them out. How are you going to send them out? Your children should be different. Your children are sent out into the world in order to make disciples of Jesus. So understand this. The Great Commission is the parents' commission. The Great Commission is the parents' commission. You need to raise your kids to think like Christians about everything. How do you do that? Go back to Deuteronomy 6. It's very simple. Discipleship is not trigonometry. God is very straightforward in how to do these things. It only gets complicated when we let sin enter into the equation. You teach them to know and understand the Word of God above everything else. We teach in my home the Bible as an academic subject. My kids are learning the Word of God as an academic subject. And you say, well, our school doesn't offer that. I didn't say anything about school. Praise God if it does. Hint. <laughs> I like to meddle. Send your emails to Nate at... <laughs> How are your children going to think biblically if they don't know the Bible? How are they going to do that if they don't know the Scriptures? But they shouldn't just think differently. They should secondly trust differently. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9-11 through 11 says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. That is the Christian legacy. There are two things in that text that I want you to take note of. First is a statement about holiness in a world filled with sin. Christians are to stick out as being unique in our pursuit of obedience and purity according to God's standards. We're to be unique in that. We are to stand out in that. But there's a second thing. Look at the phrase, a people for his own possession. Now, if you've ever read the King James Version, it Instead of saying a people for his own possession, it calls you a peculiar people. 
It does this because the idea in the original language is that we live in such a way to show who our master is. And that sets you apart in the way that you live. So a follower of Jesus Christ will be distinct from someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. But here's the fatal flaw in most American Christian homes. Many mothers and fathers, their greatest fear is that their children would be unique. And so you train your kids to blend in rather than stand out, and you've got to stop it. You're strangling your children's discipleship. Kids, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be different. If you follow Jesus, you're going to stand out from the crowd. If you follow Jesus, people may ridicule you. People may belittle you. People may look at you and say, what's your problem? People may look at you and say, why are you not like everybody else? To which you will say, because I love Jesus Christ. And great is the reward of being a Christian. Friend, you should gloriously want to stand out. Why? Because we trust something different than the world trusts. We trust God's design and His command. We submit to God because He's called us to trust in Him because He owns the world and He will reign forever and ever. But thirdly, if they think differently and they trust differently, guess what else they're going to do? They're going to act differently. And I don't mean that they're just going to be weirdos. All right? Being a weirdo is not a spiritual gift. All right? But they're going to act like somebody that trusts Jesus Christ. Christians following Jesus will naturally stick out of the crowd because they have an allegiance to Jesus rather than false gods. And so the question must be asked, are you committed to training your children to go out into the world with different thoughts, with different trusts, and different actions? And the question you got to answer is, how are you accomplishing that? How are you going to accomplish that? First, you need to live like a Christian. Parents come to me in crisis situations a lot. And they say, what can I do because I've got this problem with my child? And my first questions are always related to how committed are you to following Jesus? I know that, that you want just to be able to have one conversation with your kids and it fixes everything. That's not how it works. Parenthood is years and years of investment. Years and years. So the first question about parenting is, are you living like an actual Christian? If you're not living like an actual Christian, your kids are going to pick that up. But then secondly, are you teaching them the Word of God? Deuteronomy 8.5, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Note what he's saying there. He's your Discipline of your kids should reflect the very discipline God gives into your life. And so you should fashion how you raise your children after what? How God is raising you. So if you want your kids to follow Jesus, you've got to follow Jesus. Does your mission as a father or mother reflect the care and holy discipline of the Lord? Or are you just raising children? To leave you alone. To be like everybody else. Do you think that's what Jesus prayed over the kids that day? 
keep going back to that. What do you think his blessing was for them that day? I think it was that they would grow to think differently, to trust differently, to act differently. Thirdly, parents must build boundaries of prayer around your children. Parents must build boundaries of prayer around your children. We have been very fruitful and multiplied here at Village Church. The infant's room keeps filling up. By God's grace, we're growing our church through parenthood. But here's the deal. When you have a baby, it is such a profound responsibility. It can be terrifying. It can be terrifying. I remember when our first child was born, before I asked them if they could fix the, the conehead thing. I really did. Asked my wife. It's the first question I said, can you fix that? I'm a very practical person, right? I looked at him, and really my first thought was, what do I do now? What do I do now? I've made a life. What do I do now? How can I order my life for success with this child? And so I went to the Word of God, and I came with one conclusion. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Friend, you need to think like a Christian so that your kids will. And you say, well, you don't know my kids. And I say, you don't know the power of the Holy Spirit. Say, you don't know what my kids are dealing with. I need something else. And I will say, you're not trusting God enough. I know that every... Man, my mom always tells me I used to beg God for you. Right? And I always feel belittled by that, but I now, as a father, I understand what she means by that. You beg God that they will have more power than you've had in your life from Him. I gave my sons middle names after prophets of the Old Testament. First son has the middle name Elisha. Not Elijah, Elisha. Different guy i got to get the world on board with knowing the Old Testament. Because my prayer for him was that he would get a double portion of the Holy Spirit that I've experienced in my life. That was Elijah's prayer for Elisha. My second son, his name is Owen Samuel. Because Samuel heard the voice of God. And my prayer for him has always been that he would grow to hear the voice of God. What are your prayers for your children? What are you praying for them? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? Everything about your children will ultimately begin with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, and I hope you are, then you are either currently parenting or you want to be a parent in the future. I don't give any other options. That's all I believe. The answer to almost everything is simply be a Christian. And that is not a weekend commitment. That is a 24-7 reality. There's no issue as a parent that is not impacted by the reality of how you are following Jesus Christ. So whatever you want your kids to become must be fashioned by you in legit, committed ways. 
But my fear for some of you is that you are fashioning something other than following Jesus Christ to your kids. I get it, that's your choice, but the question that you must ask yourself is what does that say about you? What does that say about your faith? In Matthew 19, 13, Jesus prays for these kids. Prayer is a fascinating thing. I mean, quite frankly, it's what Christians do. We believe that God is there and that He is not silent. But guess what? We believe something else. Not only has God spoken to us, but He is there and He is listening. He is listening to you. When you find yourself in a place where you don't know what to do with your kids, do you go to God with it? Are you praying boundaries around your children? I'm not asking if you're putting boundaries around your children. I know some of your children, and some of you are failing miserably at that. Your kids are rotten. They're just rotten. Are you praying boundaries around your children? That's what Jesus is doing. We pray for what we want and what we hope for. Then we live out that prayer. In Proverbs 23, it finds Solomon talking about discipline. And he says this, He says, don't withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. It's pretty hard for you to get mad at me when I just read the Bible and say, (laughs) get somebody in here, I'm going to email you. Email Solomon. (laughs) Not me. Verse 14. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Verse 15, my son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult. To exult means kind of this overflow of joy that you just want to lift up and show to everyone when your lips speak what is right. Verse 17, let not your heart do what? Envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all day. Note the hope of discipline. First, that the child would have wisdom. Secondly, the child would speak what is right. Third, that the child would not envy sinners. And fourth, that they would fear the Lord. You have to example a dependence on God to accomplish all four of those things. And that is going to be found in the posture of prayer for your children. Prepare your children for spiritual battle by living spiritual realities. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul shifts from marriage to children, much like Jesus shifts from marriage to children. Starts with the kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Every mother and father's favorite verse is Ephesians 6, 1. (laughs) I will tell you, when they ask why, 95% of the time respond with, because I said so. Because that is the reason. Some of y'all don't know why your children are rotten. That's why. You think you owe them an explanation. I gave you a house and breakfast. That's all I give. Otherwise, just line up. Get in order. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. It's first commandment with a promise. Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the lands from the book of Exodus. But look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Very quickly, the father takes the lead in raising them in what? Discipline and instruction. Note that there is correction, but there is also instruction. 
Children obey out of the hope that their parents are going to instruct them on how to live lives that will be blessed by God. That is the life of faith. That prepares your children for reality. Here's the deal. You want to know what it looks like to anger your children and provoke them? By expecting them to be a Christian when you aren't. But verse 4 of Ephesians 6 prepares them for verse 11 of Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Parents, you are not chiefly preparing your children to go out there, get a job, pay taxes, and buy a house. Yes, that will be part of it. I want them to leave. But like I said, the tragedy is that you don't have a greater vision than that. They will do those things. Stop worrying about it. But they will also enter a world in which Satan is going to attack them and they will need the whole armor of God. Are you praying for your kids? Are you praying for them? What are you praying for them? I pray that my children and your children will grow to be a part of a gospel revolution that will bring revival to the church and win thousands of people to faith in Jesus Christ. That is my prayer for them, that they will make that decision for themselves someday. But that is what I am preparing them for. That is my chief aim. Don't raise your kids hoping for less. This world does not need less. This world needs followers of Christ that want to change the world. Want to change the world. I truly believe that is what Jesus prayed for those kids in Matthew 19, 13 through 15. That they would change the world. Four application points. First, value children like Jesus does. I can't stomach somebody that doesn't like children. You're just a selfish person. Repent. Secondly, apply the Great Commission to your family. Yes, the Great Commission is reaching people you don't know, but don't pass over the ones that you do, especially your children. Thirdly, teach the next generation to think, trust, and act differently. Fourthly, prepare your children to start a gospel revolution. A gospel revolution. That is what Jesus hopes for your kids. Don't hope for less. Every Sunday we reflect on the Lord's Supper. The packet around your seat contains bread, which represents the broken body of Christ. The cup represents His shed blood. When you eat and when you drink, you proclaim to everyone in this room, I am a follower of Jesus. I will follow Jesus Christ. Friend, if you're not a follower of Jesus, today is a day, the day where you should give your life to Jesus Christ. If you'll just pray to Him, Jesus, I believe you. Please save me from my sin. Jesus, I believe you. Please save me from my sin. If you pray that in faith, He will save you. He will start a new relationship and give you a new life that will last for eternity. But if you're in here and you are a follower of Jesus, eat, drink, then go live His mission. 